Hey there, Jilted Indian Podcast listeners. It's Pooja. Anju. And Miranda. And special guest, Ishita. Hello. Hello, Ishita. For those of you paying attention, we met Ishita back in the day at a protest. I'm just kidding. We met Ishita back at the Dallas March Against White Supremacy in 2017. Yeah, it wasn't like back in the day. It was more like current events. Well, time moves so slowly under fascism. <laughs> time moves slowly under fascism. That's true. I don't know if it's time moves slowly or time just goes in circles. Right. Yes. Yes. Yeah. So we accosted her. We accosted her that day. <laughs> Look, a brown person. A brown person. We want her opinions. And a mere 18 months later, <laughs> we have her for a full episode. Welcome, Ishita. Thank you guys for having me. I'm excited to be here. Yay. So we're going to start off with asking you our standard questions. Yes. Number one, what is your origin story? All right. Well, I'm first generation, I guess, because that's born in the States to immigrant parents. So my parents came over here from India. They were doctors. They did their residencies in America, did the whole traditional raise your family here, bring up very good kids that are supposed to be model children living the American dream. And I was not. (laughs) (laughs) And now you find yourself amongst the jilted Indians. Yes. So, So, but... It was good because, you know, I grew up, you know, a pretty traditional Gujarati Hindu family. So, you know, we were all very involved with Samaj and very involved with our community. I would help run our youth summer camps. My dad was president of Gujarati Samaj for a while. We helped, like I would volunteer at Garba and I would volunteer at our health fairs that we'd have. And all of, it was just a very, very involved with each other community all my parents friends are indian like a bunch of their med school friends moved to atlanta with us when they all moved to america so we're all it's very close like we just had a birthday party for my dad and invited all the close friends and family and i tell you that was a hundred people i believe it sounds normal yeah yeah that's normal yeah so just a very warm and very loving and very involved in your business, Indian community. Also sounds normal. That's, I've never heard of that before. <laughs> Aunties knowing everything about your life, don't know her. Oh, yeah. yeah. <laughs> <laughs> what a great way to put that. Oh, my gosh. Okay, so what, in, in your origin story, like what was your pursuit of higher education? Well, I was supposed to go along the doctor path okay along with you know everybody else in my family my mom's a doctor my dad's a doctor my sister's a doctor and I turned out to be a sociologist who worked for a nonprofit and now works in a bookstore as a marketing coordinator well humanities teaches critical thinking so thank you that's for real for real yes so that leads really nicely that dovetails into our next question what makes you a shitty Indian what doesn't make me a shitty Indian <laughs> is a better question. That's a great. <laughs> like, literally, let's see. I can't cook. I can't eat spicy food. I'm not a doctor. I married white. Should I keep going? Like, Oh, oh we have all day. We Yeah, we do. 
Uh, let's see. No, uh, we don't want you to break. To- we are joking. <laughs> we are joking. We are joking. We don't want you to devolve into a like a, a shame spiral um, today. Um, but it's okay. I'm. I like to call it individualism. We do too. We've reclaimed shitty Indian to mean you know we bucked the trend. So you fit the definition perfectly. Yeah, yeah, the shittier the better. Yeah, I mean, I figured my sister did all of the good Indian stuff where she married a doctor who was a Patel and they have a nice big house and they're both doctors together with a dog and they do all that thing so I can go around and be like, la di da da whatever. Oh, oh my God, your sister must have so much resentment. Okay. <laughs> <laughs> I got married before her. I'm oh, young. Oh, <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Uh, yeah that's probably the shittiest thing i did was get married before her when i was younger um oh Pooja, you on the nose with that <laughs> resentment comment <laughs> is uh, your sister the eldest yes yeah well, yeah it's, it's just yeah, two yeah. people mm, oh okay mm, it's just mm, me and my sister mm, okay mm, no i mm, i get that mm. because i'm your sister and my siblings are you so i i, I read that immediately i mean i'm always- <laughs> I'm just slightly rebellious. It's hmm. the tattoos and the piercings and the... <laughs> yeah, that's the extent of their rebellion, too, except they got to do whatever they wanted. Um, <laughs> I am not bitter. Anju, why are we here today? Why did we bring Ishita on? Because we are doing our annual book club episode. This year we're reading Erotic Stories for Punjabi Widows by... Bali Coward Jusval. Did I say that that's correctly? That's as good as I would have done it. Yeah. Yeah. We are <laughs> shitty Indians. That's as good as it gets. Um. <laughs> I speak Gujarati, not Punjabi. Oh, so yes. I, I don't know how to pronounce things. I speak 22% of English and mostly English. So I know nothing. I know how to say, or at least I understand when they say, go take a bath. <laughs> So we remember that. Story. We remember that those lines, yes. they were repeated. Yes. So um, let's talk about how this book came upon us. Um, I follow Reese Witherspoon on her. I think I was following her once upon a time on uh, Facebook and her Hello Sunshine group. And I ended up finding out she had a book club. So I was kind of following that for a while of course, not actually reading all of the books, just watching that books were being read and just letting them pile up as they I do. I, I think I follow it on Goodreads, too. Yeah, and, <laughs> and it's just there are books that pile up, and that's a theme that we're about to talk about in this episode, the to-be-read pile. When I saw that it was a book pick, I was instantly taken back to a time where I knew in an interview, uh, Reese was talking about, um, it was actually either Reese or it was Mindy Kaling, that talked about Mindy not having privilege and Reese not understanding Mindy's not having privilege. I think it was a conversation that they had while they were filming A Wrinkle in Time. Mindy's had to make all of her roles, essentially. She's had to make all of her opportunities. And Reese, that was not her experience. And so I think they had a deep discussion where Reese learned as a result, oh, shit, I'm privileged. It was her, I think it was one of her, if not many, uh, oh shit, I'm privileged moments. Um, Which is, you know, nice to hear from her. Yeah. That she's actually willing to listen and say, oh shit, yeah. I'm privileged. And do something about it. Because yeah. that's the second part of the equation we miss a lot. Yes, you're woke and. Yeah. <laughs> woke and <laughs> should be the name of a podcast. But okay. So next she, project. Next project. <laughs> that's funny. Um, so, 
I noticed, you know, I'd watch the dialogues going on and it was very interesting uh, how many people embraced this book. It was already a popular book. Am I correct about that, Ishida? Very popular. Yeah, it was a bestseller when it came out. Oh. Like, and it's just really ever since it's come out, it's gained more and more traction. I have a former co-worker, shout out Andrea, who lives in Oklahoma, and her all-white book club read this book and cooked Indian food for their book club meeting. <laughs> so I thought that was, I was like, wow, this book reached Oklahoma. Yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> and I saw on all of the Facebook threads that uh, Reese's book club did, I saw threads and comments and comments and comments of women reading this book going, <gasps> you know, like it's we'll get into the stories the erotic stories themselves in a second but just i'll just say it seeing white women embrace this book was a cognitive exercise for me and that's not to say that women can't embrace white women can't embrace indian things yoga but in a way this was different because they were embracing our entire culture instead of just appropriating bits of it say that one more time for the people in the back Ishida. <laughs> They were embracing our entire culture instead of appropriating bits of it. Hmm. Dun, dun, dun. Yoga. Pindies. <laughs> <laughs> Sorry, bad cough. I should drink some really water. Really bad. This air is dry. It's, it's, it's so dry. It's so the, dry. The seasons change and yeah. my allergies just act up. And yeah. my air conditioning does not work. So, um. <laughs> we're all, yeah. So, the, uh, sorry. Is, should I get over that? I hope you get over that soon. So, um, yeah. So, it, I, it was a very interesting cognitive exercise for me to see them embracing our entire story and seeing these characters entirely and that made me create this tiny persistent campaign with my ultra intelligent co-hosts and that and then i mean that i mean that so respectfully but also can we please read this trashy read oh yeah miranda said oh my god sex stories we're reading it that's how base miranda is <laughs> <laughs> Dr. Miranda George got us all riled up about old lady sex stories. I well, can... she's not wrong. <laughs> she's not wrong. She's also not quite right, but she's not wrong. Hey, you know, okay, you know what? You know what? You know what? After you read like ultra cerebral texts, you need that brainless, easy, digestible read as a buffer. Like I could never read uh fucking I, I was reading a lot of sociological tech sociology texts uh surrounding trauma and shame and all that stuff, right? They were all by sociologists or psychiatrists and I needed a breather. So yeah. old lady sex book. Oh, so Miranda went from like nurturing your inner child and your super ego via self-care to my velvet lady pocket <laughs> received <Aubergine>. his eggplant <laughs> gee oh god the gee the gee the literally I did this like I was literally fanning myself I was laughing so hard so so before we get into this spoilers hashtag spoilers. spoiler alert spoilers are going to happen spoilers are gonna happen so, um, and also before we get into it, let's talk a little bit about the author. Mm. This is Bali's, I'm going to call her Bali, Bali's uh, third novel that made it into um, publication. The first was Inheritance, which won the Sydney Morning Herald's 
Best Young Australian Novelist Award in 2014, and it was also adapted into a film. Her second book was called Sugar Bread, and it was a finalist in the 2015 inaugural Epigram Book Fiction Prize and the 2018 Singapore Literature Prize. And then this is her third book, Erotic Stories for Punjabi Widows. It it has been translated into 11 different languages, the film rights sold to Ridley Scott, and as we mentioned at the top, a selection for Reese Witherspoon's book club in 2018. Um, She is an author who lives in Singapore. She is of Punjabi descent. And her fourth novel, Then Likely Adventures of the Shergill Sisters, was released in April of 2019. Now, this book is written from a very Punjabi perspective, although it's very, it's an, I like to use this term a lot on the podcast, it's kind of an umbrella for all Desi womanhood, kind of, but it is a microcosm of specifically uh, Punjabi womanhood, I feel. And so just for our listeners who aren't familiar, Punjab is a state in India and not the way people had mispronounced my name my entire effing life. So Punjab is a state in India bordering Pakistan. It is the heart of India's Sikh community, the city of Amritsar, founded in the 1570s by Sikh Guru Ramdas, is the site of Harmandir Sahib, the holiest Gurdwara, which is also a Sikh place of worship. Listeners, you can do a Google search just as easily as I can, but those basic facts tell you about the location of Punjab. It's in northern India. So if you know anything about India, that should clue you in as to the dress, the cuisine, the politics of the area, and um, that the people are... The people are sick in in um, nature, which is different from Hinduism, which you may associate. That's sick, S-I-K-H, not sick as in they're yes. actually mm-hmm. yes. sick. Important to say. Yes. And uh, the main difference between Sikhs and Hindus, and I only bring it up because it's mentioned in the book, um, when one of the widows is fraternizing with a Hindu man. <laughs> so that, dun, dun, dun. yeah, so I thought maybe that would be worth explaining for those of you who have read the book and are not familiar. So, um, Sikh is often mistaken as a monotheistic religion, but it's, it's very meditative and philosophical in its approach to spirituality and faith. Uh, one of the big differences between Hinduism and um, Sikhism is that when we do pray and focus, it's we do use murthis, also known as statues, to focus our thought and meditation on on what that depiction of God is. Whereas Sikhs don't believe in in that; they believe in they had Guru Nanak. It's very transcendental, um, meditative, and you don't need that in between iconography to worship. With them and they're very service oriented and a lot of things pointed out that the six are the warrior caste casteism does not exist in the Sikh faith it exists in the Hindu faith but um, Punjabis and and warrior warrior people in Sikhs were often depicted as coming to the aid of Hindus during the Mughal Empire when there was forced conversion to Islam which we know Islam doesn't do that, but okay. Um, <laughs> that's your background to the, the people referenced in this book. Yes. And the big thing about it is that it's set in South Hall, South in Hall. London, just to show you how close-knit the community comes from because they rely on their roots a lot for that common thread. No matter who you are in the community, somebody knows somebody. I just also wanted to point out that um, Punjab was split in half by the partition 
um, when India and Pakistan were created. So um, a lot of people were sort of a lot of migration happened in that period as a result of people having to move um, across the border in either direction. There was also a lot of violence in that period. So that was thinking of that partially because of all these people who moved here in the story um, and specifically i think it was colander had like become a british citizen and i was like that doesn't seem like it makes any sense because this seems like the kind of person who would definitely have held on to her indian citizenship and then i was like oh well if you don't really have anything to go back to specifically i guess that kind of makes sense a hundred percent thanks colonialism so um (laughs) and this was actually there's a tie here because shamila and i talked to um a punjab i think punjabi man um, from the lift ride who was here with his family and he was talking to us exactly about that how he said you know my grandparents don't even know uh, who if we're Indian if we're Pakistani like that was all a mess so uh, yeah this is the subsetting you know for people in the know it's good to know these things I think had to come and colonize us split us up move us all over the place and then had the audacity to not even use curry powder like oh. mm, yeah <laughs> Or um, not curry powder, just spice and Spice general. at all. Yeah. They have to, the audacity to use curry powder is what I should say. Oh mm. my gosh. Mm. It's the subtitle of this episode is Jilted Indian Book Club, We Hate Colonialism. Oh, just um. in time for uh, Indigenous Peoples Day, <laughs> just too. Just in time for Indigenous Peoples this record, Day. This record was. Yeah. Um, yeah. So now, um, Anju, I want to say this book is probably the most fresh on your mind. Because I finished it last night at 1230? Yes, because you, you finished the book! <laughs> Anju and I have been in a book club for like 10 years, and this may be one of the few handful. Well, it was it's an old book club, but it's one of the few handful of times where I can remember her finishing the book. That's why I had tried to quit the book club repeatedly. You <laughs> cannot yeah, quit. You, the, you, you are can't in quit forever. This is Hotel California. <laughs> Hotel Jilted Indian. Yeah. I'm, my track record with the Jilted Indian podcast book club, book club is pretty decent, actually. So I think I think when we read one book a year, I can manage it. Yes, yes. we are we are good in that way. Yes. I okay. So Anju. Yes. Give us your best overall summary of this book. <laughs> Shit. <laughs> um. So who's who was the main character here? Uh, the main character is a girl named Nikki, who I think was 22 years old. She's a British Punjabi. She was born in England. Um, and she's the younger of two daughters in this semi-traditional, fairly traditional Punjabi family. Um, and she's she's the, the shitty Indian among in, the, in her family and probably in, in her whole community, the only shitty Indian. Feeling that, feeling that. <laughs> so, uh, yeah, so she's she's struggling with that and with the uh, the failed expectations of, you know, like letting down her parents. And she has a, a perfect older sister who is kind of judgy. Um, and so she's struggling with that as well. And then she ends up falling into this job teaching a writing class um, at a gurdwara in this Punjabi enclave called, I think, Southall. I don't know how to pronounce that correctly. Yeah, Southall. Which she thinks she's going to be teaching them, like, write their own stories and, like, empower them. And then it realizes that they can't actually write at all. So then it's going to turn into, like, an actual literacy thing, except that they're not really interested in learning how to write (laughs) or read in English. They just want to tell stories. And specifically, they want to tell erotic stories. So that becomes the, uh, the main plot of the story. Yeah, it does. And there are some slight complications. There's a lot going on in this book. A lot. When I say a lot, we're going to talk about that in a second. There's also um, a murder. There are two murders of two young Punjabi women being referenced in the book. Three. One, 
three. You're right. Three. Well, the third one, the third one we'll find out about later, but there's the backdrop of this one unsolved murder from like 20 years or 10 years ago or 15 years ago or something, and then a more recent one. And so Nikki's the the newcomer, the outsider in this this uh, community, and she's kind of trying to figure out what she's missed and what's going on, basically. Right. And then there is also the theme of censorship and conservatism within your faith, represented by the brothers. I always want to say proud boys, the but that's just boys. what it is. Right. They're just brown proud boys. Browed. The proud boys. Browed boys. <laughs> the proud boys. Um. I, I don't like it. <laughs> <laughs> Nobody does. Um. <laughs> they're, ew, they're probably Modi supporters. No, no more than likely. Uh, oh, I don't think we have to are. question that. Yeah. So we open on this book, as Andre mentioned, that Nikki is now teaching this this adult literacy class that turns into a Hustlers 101 um, <laughs> <laughs> editor's room. And throughout the story, there is the mounting tension of being found out because it's definitely they're lying to everybody about the purpose of the class. Uh, balancing the fact that the class is getting more popular as these stories are leaked among the community because obviously aunties cannot keep secrets so no shit that's a that's a theme and and everybody wants to find out about the aubergine and the lady pocket like (laughs) vegetable metaphors for dicks abound in this book spoiler alert (laughs) any fruit or vegetable vegetable that is phallic shape. Yeah, yeah, yeah. There's there's a lot going on here. There's a lot of food involved with the sex talk in this right. book. Right. There's yes. There's there so much food. <laughs> yes. My comment about that is if you just think about their youth, like the age of women in this story, probably right around the time of just after partition, electricity going out all the fucking time. What do you have? You got fruits and veggies. You got God. (laughs) Which drove you to the fruits and veggies. (laughs) Well, you're not wrong. (laughs) So um, now we have the tee-hee-hee of elderly ladies writing about sex. Uh, We have the mystery of the murders. And then we have your typical kind of, ooh, love story, which I wasn't interested in at all we talked about before we started recording that my trust issues are so deep-seated that i did not believe him for a minute and still don't (laughs) so we should probably explain said love story oh yeah so nikki runs into this guy outside of temple because they're both smoking which is apparently a no-no in sikhism um maybe just in general indians yeah i mean yeah so they meet while taking a cigarette break by the temple Mm. and end up starting to talk his name's jason so nikki finds the unicorn which is a guy as britishized as she well westernized as she because he's american and they they hit it off honestly that relationship means nothing in this book so i mean it was just it's one just background story yeah it was background story so i don't think it means nothing though because it is kind of like a pulling metaphor for her pulling further and further into back into the indian community that's true that's true that's true because there's a lot of parallels between um nikki's life and the overall story you see nikki is 22 dropped out of law school 
is trying to find herself. And this is after their father passed away, right? So their family dynamics has changed. And her mother herself is a Punjabi widow, but is not spending time telling these stories nope. <laughs> among but, her community, right? Yeah. I mean, just the opening of the book sets up that very dramatic contrast between Mindy and Nikki because it's Mindy sending over her arranged marriage stuff to Nikki saying, hey, will you look over this? And Nikki, I think a lot of us can um, see a lot of ourselves in Nikki. At least I could. I saw a lot of myself and my sister in the Mindy and Nikki dynamic. Mm -hmm. I was like, oh, 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 this is a personal attack. (laughs) Yeah, it was me and my cousins. Like, I have a cousin who is a Mindy. And I am very much a Nikki. And not only that, she's a server bartender in this pub in, I think, Southall or like one of the nearby cities. You meet her friend who's like listening to all of her drama. And what is her name again? Olive. Yes, Olive. And then you have the shit boss. Sam. Sam. He wasn't shit. He was kind of shitty. He, he was, was a little. Shit. He was a little shitty. Yeah, he's not. He's not like the worst shitty in the book, but he's definitely somewhere more on the shitty scale than the not shitty. So doing the least. It's doing the least. No. So uh, that's Nikki. She's our first protagonist. Our second, I would argue, is Kovinder Kaur, who is essentially the head of the women's group at the Gurdwara. She has her own little office. She's also in the middle of the worst grief and post-traumatic stress. You see that she's always trying to do good things for women in the community, which you can, that's blatantly what they say about Nikki, always trying to do good things in the community. So immediately you have this commonality that's going to result in budding personalities with with these two people being foils against each other. So she's in the middle of of grief, post-traumatic stress. Her daughter was murdered. She feels targeted by the community she serves. Um, She lives in fear. Her husband and her are gripped in grief, but she's trying to move on. So you have her, and because she's very much um, aware of the, that the success of this writing program is being judged more critically than anything else the temple does, she is very strict with the with Nikki um, and a lot of that is there's also a lot of parallels drawn between Nikki and her daughter Maya mm-hmm. both being part of a, a local feminist group both valuing individualism versus the collective of the community you know eschewing that shame and living their lives type of thing so there's that tension between the two but let's get to these Punjabi widows and their dirty dirty vegetable stories um. <laughs> well I remember uh what I remember most vividly kind of I, I mean granted these are sex stories which were to us American women and I don't know about y'all, but I've read like romance novel stuff. And this was kind of nice, you know, freshman try, you know. Part of me wonders if Bali was really good at capturing a a widow's voice. Yes. um, Or if this is her... Fifty Shades of Grey moment where she thinks it's hot, but it really isn't. (laughs) (laughs) I personally would like to believe that I think it's the widow's voice just because like there is talk later in the book when they're self-critiquing each other Mm -hmm. where you hear, oh, but that wouldn't make sense. But why would you do that? But why was this? And, you know, like Bali has those moments where she puts in those critiques. Right. 
of the right. stories. Yeah, I, I think it's meant to be amateur because these are not professional. I mean, these are these are women who are telling their stories for the first time, so they're they're total novices. True. And in addition to them telling these stories for the first time, it's different when you're like taking a story from your brain as you've imagined it, and then moving it forward and putting it into words is really difficult. Like wording your imagination is hard and I think any writer will tell you that taking like the hardest thing sometimes is words where are the words how do I make this words yeah yeah right and and these are uneducated women too so they don't really have the tools either yes and (laughs) I brought it up whether or not was the author's voice because to me the entire community is repressed if these became hot off the presses type of things that cause such uproar later in the book, right? A desi community? Repressed about sexual things? No. I mean, they're talking about literally putting carrots in, in secret places. Secret places. Right, yeah. So it's not like, it's not, it's not burn your bar down sucking on nipples all day long, right? So, um, but yes, no, you, point taken. Burn your bar down sucking on nipples. <laughs> I... Pause, pause. <laughs> you just broke Miranda's brain. Speaking, I think we broke Miranda's brain. <laughs> Speaking of turning your imagination into words, we're going to talk about that later. Right. How did that come right. about? Um, okay, so there's a theme of they have to still have that pearl clutching thing about them, but do you identify with the rebel in these elderly women or what i identify with their freedom Mm -hmm. more than their rebellion and that's complicated on my end and i don't want to derail a book episode talking about fighting the patriarchy but i feel like that sense of and that freedom is that rebellion and i feel that only comes because they're not tethered to anything anymore they're not tethered to a husband or children to raise or in a sense what the community thinks because we mentioned earlier the community does not listen to them because they're mm-hmm. elderly women so I, I feel like with all of them there is something there but I will say that Arvinder the oldest one the mother of one of the other widows um, her attitude that's me <laughs> <laughs> was I the only one picturing like a brown Maggie Smith by the way yes no, oh my no, gosh. you're not the only one. I mean, oh yes, my gosh, Coastal. now that you say that, yes, yes. yes. Oh my gosh, yeah, because yes. she does shut her like daughter down. Yeah, like she lets slip that she had an affair because she had an unhappy marriage, and then this is okay. So I skipped over the part where I want to talk about how much I love um, Bali Core's daisiness in this book. Like every every scene, every chapter has something that's very very daisy about it, and with the with this particular scene that I'm thinking of in I think chapter nine or 10, it's where it's revealed that one of these widows had an affair when her husband was alive and her daughter happens to be in this writing group and she finds out too and she just holds a grudge. And later on you find out our vendor was like, no, you had choice because I gave you choice. I didn't have choice. My marriage was unhappy as fuck. I mean, you were happy and you could write all these great romantic stories because I made sure you had choice and agency so you could marry for love. And then earlier on, you 
you find out more about child marriage in India. In chapter eight, you find out the antagonist in the story got married when she was 10 to a, to a priest who was 30 years her senior because the lines on their hands matched and that she had her first sexual experience at the age of 10. Which is her- called rape. So he, he totally made up that prophecy, right? He was a pedophile. And um, yeah, I definitely had an eyebrow going at the, we will raise five sons and you will be the wife of the priest and and I was like and then none of that ends up happening they end up having only daughters yeah only daughters that one gift that exists of the little girl just like in her car seat going (laughs) side-eyeing yeah side-eyeing yeah (laughs) that was me at the priest in this book that's going in the notes there's there's (laughs) so there's I mean that's like a negative outside of things such as that such as the widow community thing and we brushed on it in previous episodes where once you've widowed in in Indian culture you're sent off literally to a widow's island to live your life out um, because you cease to exist as a a functional human being anymore but there are other things in this book that were very daisy there's a scene where the, the you know she's walking down the street and the couple is coming out of the fast visa application office there's um there's a scene very early on where Nikki is home for dinner at her mom's house and she's opening ice cream container after ice cream yes. container. Yes. <laughs> and it's doll and she, she like... She microwaves ice cream container and her mom's like, don't microwave that. <laughs> and she's like, well, if you stored them in microwavable containers in the first place. Yeah. Yes. Oh my God. What and, and, an ice. And her mom is just like, why would I do that when I have perfectly good containers? And I'm just like, <laughs> I can just see my mom's fridge at this moment filled with yogurt containers filled with leftovers this is a this is attached but also a side item I remember when I got passionate about recycling my parents were like uh we've recycled all our lives (laughs) we upcycle (laughs) yeah they reuse you reuse before you recycle (laughs) yeah Yeah. like they they've reused and recycled like they're like we we don't throw things away (laughs) (laughs) And on and on theme with this book is also the push and pull between Nikki not understanding Punjabi or being able to write in Gurmukhi, teaching English, um, and speaking in in I'm gonna say English. Um, very to, broken Punjabi. Very bur- broken Punjabi to the widows, and and there's a funny scene when she mis um, mistranslates the word for dog. And instead of saying kuta, she says kuti, and kuti is bitch. And so, <laughs> <laughs> and so she's all like, they're all like, it's like you were calling us bitch the whole time. I'm like, okay. There's funny moments um, in here, but I just wanted to point out the whole book is Daisy. There's always a little Daisy touch mm-hmm. with every single thing in the book. And I don't know about you, but we've been preaching a little thing called hashtag representation matters. Mm-hmm. And so Our voices. Yes. And so whenever I'm reading something like this and I see just those little nods to it, it makes it easier then to believe the sexual stuff, right? To fall into, yes, brown women are sexual. Brown men mm-hmm. love brown women in very physical ways. You know, it's like those things are easier because I don't think I've ever read a brown romance novel. I have one, Aisha at Last, by Uzma Haludin, and I haven't started that yet, and it's about a hijabi woman. And so I'm looking forward, and I really appreciated um what Bali did in this book in terms of showing that sexuality 
doesn't end just because your spouse has died and showing what discovering your your inner not your sexuality because Nikki's very well aware of her sexuality but discovering what love is there's there's physical love there's romantic love and then there's like passionate love represented by her her parents right her mom and dad and so I think there's so much going on in this book and it's a lot it's all the things that it should have told us earlier <laughs> like oh we're having an action scene now it's like a Bollywood movie. Like it just swings wildly from one emotion to another. <laughs> I got kind of weirdly emotional starting with the beginning where Coolwinter has this flashback of taking Maya to school the first day, you know, and how like nervous and anxious she was. How she didn't speak English well and she was like so afraid that she was going to embarrass herself or whatever. And then she kind of did. And it just felt really poignant to me um, because... It just was such a clear visual and, and like it so clearly like illustrated what that immigrant experience is like. And then by the end of that chapter, you know that Maya died and that's when she has that like she goes walking and then she ends up having that encounter with the police officer who she like tries to avoid because she knows like she's like afraid that somebody's gonna see them together. But that only makes it worse. And then she gets a phone call. And so that by the end of that chapter, I was like, oh, this is gonna suck. <laughs> like Maya's dead. Clearly Maya's been murdered and, like, somebody is threatening Colwinder. Um, Can we talk about the generational trauma in this one for, like, two seconds? Holy moly. Yeah, start. Okay, so that... How... <laughs> there is so much. <laughs> Where do we start? so fucking much. Like, first of all, the ho-ass bitch, totem ball. She internalizes that whole idea of honor and shame and, like, the proper... Like, that women should have no agency whatsoever that she, like finds herself being the person who most polices it um, by blackmailing these people. But instead of finding a way for her to get her own honor and agency, she does this like shady ass shit. And like, she tries to excuse it. Like what else could I do as a widow? And I'm like, she, she is the only widow who has power that we see in the group. And we find out later that her power is, is being shady as shit as, is blackmailing rich members of the community and again the widows of the community are like she don't care about us we ain't got money right Mm -hmm. so (laughs) uh back to the theme of neglect yeah so like neglect the widows ignore the widows the widows are just gossiping in the back of the bus and nobody cares about what they're saying we've got to like wrap this up i'd have to say um we could keep talking about this book for a while because there are themes aplenty about it but we don't want to rob you uh, if you're still listening and you haven't read it yet, <laughs> we've ruined it for you. Sorry. Um, <laughs> we did say spoilers. We did say spoiler alert. So what are you doing? Um, we want to wrap this up. I want to say I'm grateful that I got to read this book uh, for all of the things. I Women talking about sex where there's no men in the room. Uh, and, and, and this is super important because women are taught that sex is for pleasing men. Yes, and mm-hmm. and I think one of the conceits of the book is these widows' stories are not coming out now that they don't have a man so to serve or please because they're of that generation mm-hmm. where they you would say serve, except for Sheena, um, who was a younger widow and was in love with her husband. To wrap up, I want to say how much I enjoyed the little, the very daisy essence of this book because 
she shades fair and lovely. She shades wheatish complexion. She shades she shades marriage. Moles. Moles. Yes. Yes. <laughs> she talks about astrology in a non um non-insulting way right and she also talks about okay i know i made fun of the carrot penis before but throughout the theme of that in the book it's you realize that the oppression and suppression of sex and femininity within their gen the widows's generation um they didn't have the conversations to learn the proper terms for penis or rape or things like that so they use you know, celery and cucumber. And they talk about ghee instead of lube, which seems so unhealthy and prone to yeast infections and UTIs, but neither here nor there. (laughs) P.S. On a random side note, that story about the ghee in the armpit when (laughs) I literally died. (laughs) That one is laugh out loud funny. Yeah. I think my favorite thing in the end about this book is the fact that it is a story about taking back your own power in a lot of ways. And for the widows, they finally got to have their own power when it comes to their sexuality and their like expression of sex and desire. So the widows finally have power and agency over themselves and their own stories. And in the end, when they like get to publish those stories, that's them like kind of kicking down the door and saying, sorry, bud, you're going to have to deal with it. Yeah, yeah, it was very um, kind of, it was triumphant. I'm glad it ended on that note. Yeah, it's yeah. very liber- it was liberating. That's yes. the word I'm looking for. Yes. Did anybody, I mean, I guess I was thinking about that after I finished it. I wasn't totally sold on the end. Like it was, it felt good, but it didn't feel believable to me that there would be, like they built up this very conservative community where there were repercussions. They were so terrified of repercussions and then they're, weren't any nothing nothing really happened <laughs> well cancel culture isn't real mm. and the patriarchy is in charge of the gudwara <laughs> see here's the thing though i think that's in a way good that it wasn't realistic because in the end this is a book about smashing those patriarchal ideals and no maybe the current society isn't realistic but that's what we have fiction for I guess I just would have found it more satisfying if there had been some kind of pushback and then they had knocked that you know obstacle down. Instead, it was just sort of building up that there would be an obstacle and then there kind of wasn't one. And then they just publish the books and they have copies that people are just borrowing out of the temple and it's just this open thing that nobody cares about. And it just seemed strange to me. Well, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to say that was a... I, I'm going to give that a slight pass in the same world where Stephanie Meyer's Twilight saw so much success, okay? Um, Speaking about anticlimactic. Well, I think just from a story writing perspective, there was only so many things you can have as, like, climactic moments Mm -hmm. where, like, they wrapped up the Maya story. They, like, reopened the investigation into the other two murders. They had the, like, reconciliation between Nikki and her family. Mm-hmm. And and Sheena got her Rahul. Sheena yeah. got Rahul, and, you know. And this is not... Oh, God, I'm not saying this is Twilight. I'm saying that is a... That is passable to me. So maybe it 
it just there were so many threads that maybe just one kind of being glossed over unrealistically is okay see i looked at i looked at it in the sense of i watch a lot of anime and my favorite genre of anime is the slice of life anime where it's just a moment in time usually a summer and when the story ends the story ends happy or not that's it right and i kind of feel like that I was satisfied with the end of this because of that, because to me it ended on a note of they were successful this round, but you know there's more to do, mm-hmm. right? There's This is a little victory. Yes, that is realistic. Yeah. 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 I do think there's like in a in this universe, in the future, beyond what the this story contained, I think there is pushback. Yeah. Beyond. Yeah, because, you know, Kulvinder's going to have to do some electioneering to maintain her position, right? Kulvinder's going to have to do all these things. And I would read another book about Kulvinder, to be honest with you. She just embodies, to me, like, strong Indian women who probably do a lot. Well, no, strong Indian women who compartmentalize a lot and live in fear, but is brave enough to just put one foot in front of the other and keep doing it, right? So... Listeners, there is a lot, and we invited Ishita on here because she is our resident book expert. Mm-hmm. Sorry, Anju. Um, <laughs> <laughs> to your face, I'm saying this. Uh, <laughs> I totally accept it, and I'm yeah. actually really envious of your job, Ishita. <laughs> so Ishita came prepared to give us and you some recommendations of more brown books by brown people. Am I correct? Yes. Yes. So keep in mind... A lot of the, so I'm going to do a little bit of background here. A lot of the push for what's called the hashtag own voices um, movement is coming in the younger categories. Mm -hmm. So that's coming in middle grade. That's coming in young adult. It is not coming as heavily in the general fiction area as much. That one has the literary fiction genre in and of itself has a very weird attachment to cis white men Hmm. i will say though in the science fiction and fantasy genres it does seem like there's a lot going on in that particular subgenre yeah but they're they're subgenres they're all of the ones that are diverse characters diverse voices they're getting pushed into subgenres and not considered as real literary fiction quote unquote so huh with that note, <laughs> these are unsurprised huhs. <laughs> uh, with that note, I'm going to start with a few of my favorite books. Um, this first author, I'm going to preface by saying I went to high school with her, so I'm 100% biased when it comes to recommending her, but I love all of her writing fully, and I think she's just incredibly talented. Her name is Roshni Choksi, and she's written a couple of YA series and a couple of middle grade books as well so the YA series is the star touched queen Mm. is book number one and then a crown of wishes is book number two and those are both really good and then in her middle grade area she's written a book series called Arusha and there's Arusha and the end of time and Arusha and the song of death and if anybody's familiar with Rick Riordan and the Percy Jackson series. I am. Then um, Arusha is basically that with Hindu mythology. I That book is actually on my shelf. It's on my list. My, mine too, actually. And my sister's. <laughs> yeah. Arusha is really, really good. Yeah. No, oh, wow. I own it. I just need to read it. 
<laughs> so good. Well, I'm, I feel hipped to something amazing. So thank you for sharing that. What else is on your list? Oh gosh, there's a lot. <laughs> like, well, oh. while she looks around, I know that there is uh, the TB on the TBR pile in my bookshelf. Um, I just bought two. I bought uh, Bali Swall's next book, The Unlikely uh, Adventures of the Sugar Sisters. And then uh, which I'm excited to read because it's about the relationship between the women in the book. And it sounds like I get to read a women's story. So I'm super excited about that. There's also another book by Manesh Rao, which was hyped by Crazy Rich Asians' Kevin Kwan. And this book is called Polite Society. And I think if I read the description correctly, it's basically... Uh, Indian high society Indians at in India high society drama book um, which I'm pretty pumped to read um, another one that I'm in the middle of reading right now and really loving is called Mark's Woman by Rathi Mehotra oh my gosh I'm saying that wrong Mehrotha there are so many R's in this. I'm so sorry. <laughs> Rathi, if you're listening to this, I'm so sorry. Hashtag shitty Indian. We are shitty. That's it. <laughs> but anyways, it's Mark's Woman and then the sequel is called Mahimata. And it's really cool. The concept's really cool because it's like this underground society of assassins trained in the name of Kali. Oh my God. Anju, that sounds like that's up your alley. Oh, that is also on my TV. <laughs> oh, awesome. It's so good so far. I am in love. My So-Called Bollywood Life by Nisha Sharma. Ooh. That's cute. Similar to the Aru Shah series is the Kiran Mala and the Kingdom Beyond series, um, which is by Sayantani Dasgupta. And that's based on Bengali mythology, which is a little different than traditional Hindu mythology. So it's really cool. I read that and I was like, oh, this is neat because I didn't know Bengali mythology all that well. Oh my gosh, that's amazing. I don't know Bengali mythology mm-hmm. all that well. Yeah. Then a couple of other ones, they're not like just South Asian, but they're based in kind of like, they're like fantasy worlds that are reminiscent of South Asia. Mm. So We Hunt the Flame by Hafsa Faisal. Sorry, she's a, she she's was, a local author. So we, uh, Hafsa, uh, say, Hafsa Faisal was at LeakyCon with us. Oh. Oh, oh. really? Wait, she's a local? I didn't yeah, know that. She's a local. She's based in Irving. We breathe the same oxygen as her two days in a row. We may have a spinoff episode, spinoff show called Anju Meets Local Authors. <laughs> it will just be me going, <laughs> and that's it. It will and be then, that interesting. Um, then there is City of Brass and Kingdom of Copper. And I'm also biased on that front because Shannon Chakraborty and I like are Twitter friends and we yell at each other about like brown girl representation on Twitter all the time. Oh my I god. I follow her too. <laughs> She's so good. So City of Brass City of Brass and Kingdom of Copper, I think, are technically more set in like Afghanistan. But we everywhere. Brown stories for brown people. I'm here. Brown for stories. It. Yes. Yes. So and uh and that's all I can that's all I can think of off the top like out of my blogs and stuff at the top at the moment, but and yes, those are literally all fantasy sci fi, YA and middle grade. Because well, life. Right. Right. Because uh, life. Because life. And I have on my TBR list, which we were all talking about before we started recording, goes back years. Uh, I also have Lucky Boy by Shanti Sekaran. And it's a it's a bifurcated story about a, a an Indian woman having um, lost her son. And she is she comes across an immigrant Mexican 
boy um, who is separated from his mother. So it's it's. I haven't gotten into it yet. The first chapter I read is pretty heavy, and and knowing the current political climate, it's going to be on that TBR list for another decade. I think that we need to have a follow-up episode where we see how far we got. And actually, um, it, it's okay. To, and we're, we're wrapping up. I'm. I just want to say. Oh wait, I have one more. Oh, go ahead. Okay, um, I'm all unbound by Aisha Said. Oh, oh, I've heard of that one. Yeah. What's yours, Anju? Uh, the Tiger at Midnight by Swathi Tirdala. I forgot about that one. <laughs> Which is apparently inspired by Hindu mythology and ancient Indian history, so very much up my alley. Lots of mythology-inspired things ha- happening around the Indian world lately because the mythology is so rich in Indian culture that you can tell story after story after story. Right, and everybody's tired of elves and dwarves and whatever. So we I'm so tired of elves. If I, <laughs> if I never have to see another elf in a story again. Well, you will have to meet a half-eagle, half-human, flying god avatar when you read our books, okay? <laughs> <laughs> I think I have enough books to read for a while. I'm excited to read some of the books that y'all suggested just because I can never, ever, 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 ever grow tired of opening a book and knowing immediately that I can see somebody who looks like me when I open the page. Yep. I will never be anything other than excited to do that because I've gone without it for so long. Yep. And I think it's good that we've kind of, there is such a big push for that right now. And, you know, the publishing houses are trying to honestly recruit younger writers of color to tell those stories so that they're, telling their own stories and it's not just white people trying to guess about indian stories or shambhala we've seen we've seen that the yoga guru and the murder at the holistic gym that's my new story (laughs) (laughs) i almost just sprayed water out of my nose I was taking a drink of water like that. Uh, the only thing that was missing was Becky and the like. <laughs> I just got my nose pierced, so that would have oh, ended no. really badly. Oh, no. Oh, no. Just the knowledge that that would have ended badly was the only thing that kept me from laughing right then. Oh, my God. That's so fucking funny. I am glad your body protected yourself. <laughs> Mine does not do that for me. Um, <laughs> we want to thank you, Ishida, for joining thank you guys us for having today. Me. This was so much fun. Yes. Where can our listeners find you if you want to be found on the internet? I am on the Twitters. Oh, okay. I, if you like to hear a lot about me yelling about books, pol- politics, intersectional feminism, gymnastics, it, football, it's a really weird mix of stuff, y'all. It sounds so, well rounded. Yeah. Yeah. So you can follow me on the Twitters at Ishi Kent. That's I S H I E Kent K E N T. Thank you so much. Also, for being here. same handle for Instagram. That's Amen. really boring, though. <laughs> <laughs> You'll just really see a bunch of pictures of food. Well, we don't hate that. We don't hate that. Well, listeners, check out the books. Hip yourself to the brown books. Until the next episode or the next jilted indian podcast book club this has been miranda anju 
Pooja. And Ishita. We came with love and courage and hope you go with peace and power. Thanks for listening. Bye.